research provides those insights of those things that your audience can do better or 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 improve and those can be the jumping off places to tell these spin-off stories. You're listening to the Content 10X podcast where it's all about content repurposing. I'm Amy Woods and I'm here to help you maximize your content and find smart ways to get your message in front of more of the right people whilst also saving time. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Content 10X podcast. I'm your host, Amy Woods, founder of Content 10X. And in this week's episode, we are talking all about repurposing research. Now, even if you've never conducted or commissioned an independent research study before, then please do listen to this podcast episode because I can assure you that you may just realize that independent research is the missing piece of your content marketing puzzle. I have a fantastic guest joining me. Michelle Lynn is the founder of Mantis Research, where she helps content and community managers conduct surveys so they can learn about their audience and publish compelling original research findings. Prior to Mantis, Michelle was head of editorial at Content Marketing Institute, where she led the company's editorial strategy, helped build the 200,000 plus audience and published hundreds of articles. She has been cited as a content marketing influencer and was named one of Folio's top women in media. In this episode, Michelle and I talk about how to turn a research report into lots of content, maybe even a year or more of content. We talk about different types of content you can repurpose research into and how to spot the opportunities. And Michelle shares the four R's of repurposing research and so much more. Well, let's jump in. Michelle, welcome to the Content 10X podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. No, it's great to have you. I've been really, really looking forward to this conversation, actually. Before we jump in and talk about, you know, how you can get as much as you can from conducting surveys and research, could you just tell me a little bit more about what you do at Mantis Research? And also, I would love to know how you have got to where you are today as well. Like, what, what was the path that led you to what you are doing today? That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in the marketing space for a couple of decades. I started out as a product marketer. Um, and then around 2008, I left my corporate job and I knew I wanted to, to freelance and do marketing and do writing. And I honestly didn't know what my path was going to be. But um, long story short, with a lot of serendipity and you know meeting people along the way, I started doing content marketing to find clients for my business. And I realized how well that was working. And I realized, you know what, I would love to incorporate and, and help other clients do content marketing too. So I've been consulting with for content marketing companies since, you know, probably 2010-ish. Um, and I started working with an organization called Content Marketing Institute, CMI, which some of people on this, some of your listeners might know about. Um, so I was actually the first person their founder hired back in the day in 2010. So I was doing a lot of content marketing about content marketing for, for many years. Um, so I, I left there in 2017. The company was sold. I adore the company, but I knew I just wanted to go out and just do something on, on my own again. And as I was thinking about what that transition could and should look like, I was getting kind of burnt out on general content marketing because I had talked about it and, you know, written about it for so long. 
And I was looking for that gap in the marketplace of where do I think marketers can have a lot of, of, of success, but where are, but what kind of stuff do they just not know how to do yet? So I thought original research was a perfect fit um, because, simply because, you know, marketers get a lot of value from these projects, but they're difficult projects to know how to do if you haven't done them. So long story short, Mantis Research was started as a way to not only help clients with their survey-based original research projects like these trends reports and so forth, but we also teach marketers how to do this if they want to do these kinds of survey-based research on their own too. Cool. So you're either doing it for them or yeah, helping them to understand the best practices and best way to do it themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Because awesome. I feel like a lot of marketers want to know how to do this, but it's just, it's, it's tough unless you've been through that process. It's funny because I did a podcast episode, a solo show, just, just me talking into the microphone not that long ago. And it was about research and, you know, research reports and things like that and how you should be looking at ways to repurpose them. And then it was funny because it was either the same week or thereabouts or <laughs> that I saw this LinkedIn post from you. And um, I'm just going to read it out now. So um, too often marketers publish their findings and then move on to the next project or piece of content. My suggestion, keep a running list of spin-off stories you can tell from your data as you are doing your initial analysis. I did this for a client project I was working on this week, and I had a quick list of more than 20 editorial ideas related to their survey. So your initial goal isn't to come up with a formal plan, but rather you want to jot down thoughts on what you are learning from the research. So there was there was more, but we can talk about them more. But I just saw that and I thought this is this is absolutely brilliant because you know I was sharing my thoughts and ideas, but then to hear you say that and, and look at what you do and just thought I need to bring you onto the podcast and have a conversation about this. You are looking for all these different spin-off stories from the key findings in the research. What kind of things should you look for to spot these these spin-off stories? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like I mentioned at LinkedIn post, I feel like I look both for, you know, what is the content idea mm. and then what is the actual format that we can use to publish this? So if we're talking specifically about the content idea, as I'm, as I'm walking through all of, of the data and analyzing the findings, you know, I might find something like, you know, only, you know, 60, like only 40% of marketers are doing X, Y, Z. Well, where, you know, where I realize there's a big gap in the marketplace and there's an opportunity for marketers to do more if they were to do this particular thing. Um, and I can certainly share specific examples if that's helpful, but it's looking for those places where your research provides those insights of those things that your audience can do better or, 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 or improve. And those can be the jumping off places to tell these spin-off stories. And do you usually... From a workflow perspective, when you've conducted the survey and then you're looking at the data and drawing those insights in order to produce an insightful report based on the, the survey, have you already kind of thought in advance, even at the planning stage of the questions that you'll ask and the insights you want to get, the kind of content you then want to produce from it? So do, does it feed in right at that early stage? Yeah, I mean, I actually think about that that storyline from the strategy perspective. So before we even get started, I think about, you know, I call these inventory stats versus story stats. 
So your inventory stats are these state of the state, like pieces, how much people are spending, or they're going to be spending more and like these very, they're useful stats if you want people to link to you, but there's not a whole lot you can do with them. But story stats are those things that, as their name implies, can actually help you provide insights and tell stories. So for instance, story stats would be something like data that would reveal an opportunity or a gap. Um, of what you're doing, or you could you you or you could do um a, you could also find stats that you could ask two different questions. Um, so this was an example from a study I did with with Typeset, and we found this data. I can't remember the specific numbers, but let's say we found that 60% of business owners wanted to write more; they wanted to produce more content, but only 40% wanted to actually spend more. So you kind of find those disconnects in this in the story. Um, those are really interesting ways to tell stories. And there's a lot of different types of these story stats that you can can plan for, and you never know what the data is going to to reveal. But if you if you plan the questions so that you can get these stories at the end, that's the best that's the best place to actually start. Yeah, yeah, and I guess you need to look at the findings with, as you said, quite a a journalistic eye, don't you? And, and spot the the story that can come from it with in the same way that journalists are looking at, at, at news and seeing, right, well, this is some information, but how do we turn it into a st- compelling story that people, so it's it's having that eye, isn't it? Which I guess, you know, is, is something that must come the more you do it. It's a, it's a learned thing to, to learn how to do that. And you mentioned it may be that you uncover a gap. So there's something that you see people should be doing. So you can create some stories around that. And I know in the post, you said, p- pick out data points that are surprising. Or you also said, like, is there something people are planning to do in the coming year that you could offer advice on for that? So again, is that something that when you are planning the research, if, you, if you've if you done some analysis already into your audience and you know there's a, a really hot topic, get as much information as you can on that in order to get the insights to offer advice on that particular area? Yes, I, mean, I think you definitely have to plan from it from the beginning. And then as you're looking through those findings, I find it's really helpful just to jot down all of the different story ideas that you're thinking about as you're producing. So what I do is I put together all of, of the data and then I keep a running list of all of those stories. And then when I put together the findings, oftentimes you can't fit every little interesting nugget of data in every single story that you're finding. They don't all fit into that report. You know, I kind of call it pinball head. As your readers reading it, they would ha- their their mindset would have to shift too many times. So I I typically recommend that the report have just one through line story through it, and then all of these other like jump off stories you can use for other purposes. And I think it feels nice that you keep that list, so you feel like all of these good nuggets of stories and data won't get lost, and you don't feel like you have to jam them all into that one place. So everything that you produce is just um, more streamlined and and clearer and so forth. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Not everything makes the report, but there's some great value and a different way to to share it with the world. In terms of the the how, so when you're deciding, right, so that could be a LinkedIn post, that could be a blog post, that could be an infographic. What's a what do you recommend in terms of? that that the how we've got the story but now the how of getting it into the world yes you know I actually just wrote about this in a recent news in one of my recent newsletters I'm trying to put together a like a a a better framework for how people can 
repurpose research because I feel like it feels so overwhelming. It seems easy to say, let's just repurpose this because there's so many things there, but the actual doing of it can feel hard. So what I talk about is the four R's of repurposing research and they kind of run from the easiest to do to the more complicated, but you can kind of take any of, of these four paths to get more life out of your research. So do you want to walk through each? Yeah, I'd love to. Piece? Yeah, the, the, the four R's of repurposing research. I love it. I'm, I'm really intrigued. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm, I, this is something I came up with probably about two weeks ago, but I'm, so I'm still, it's still very much a work in progress, but I think it helps people think about what they can, can do. So the first R is for reuse. So like we talked about, not everything is going to make it into your findings, into those into that initial report, but you are going to have a ton of great data, a ton of great stories in those initial findings. So I recommend that people pull out all of those different interesting data points or interesting stats and, and stories and keep a running list of, of those. And then you can easily reuse all of those things on any social network that you're on. Um, you can use them you know, within sales presentations and, and so forth. So you can create so, social graphics, you can do a LinkedIn post, you can do anything that you want that just pulls out these really interesting data points that you've already published. So that's a, that is a pretty easy lift. But I definitely wouldn't stop there. The other, the, the next R is, is for reflect. So you can reflect on the data within, you know, social media and so forth. And this personally is my favorite way to repurpose and to reuse research. So, um, you know, for instance, like, let's say you have a really interesting stat that you, that you found. So I did this study on thought leadership with, with SurveyMonkey and Orbit Media a couple years ago. And one of the stats that we found, we found that about half of, we asked the, the question, is the quality of ghost of, is the quality of thought leadership impacted if it's ghostwritten? And we found about half the people said yes, half the people said no. So it was a really great conversation to say, hey, this is what we did. This is what we found. Hey, what, what, what does everyone think? And so that led to some really good conversation. People brought up some really good points that led to more LinkedIn posts. And not all of those LinkedIn posts directly related back to a data point that I had in that research, but it related back to that first point. And it was just a wonderful conversation. And it was a wonderful way to, to think about that, that data and actually use it in a meaningful way so that it, it means something. And then you can use what you've learned in those conversations if you do an annual study to then take that annual study to the next level. So I think that's a really fun way to repurpose your data. Um, the next R, the third R is about revealing solutions. So this is like we talked about, a lot of times your research is gonna find those gaps or those opportunities. So when I worked for, for CMI, our annual research always showed that people who had a, a documented content marketing strategy were, were more successful. I mean, it's, it's obvious, but um, this is something we've been talking about for probably 10 years at this point. But what we did back in the day is we put together a, a guide on how to create a documented content marketing strategy. So even so that that data point spurred this piece of, of content that said, hey, mar we, we know marketers need to be able to do this. Here's how to do it. And then in our research, we could point to that guide and then that guide can, can point to the, to the research. So that's more net new content, but it's a great way to repurpose that data in a way, again, that makes those insights useful. And then the last R, as I talk about, is reimagining your data. So chances are when you do a research study, you know, you're going to be, again, looking at one throughput, like one storyline for your findings. You're going to have all of this other data that you don't share. 
So it could be like how different segments handle something, you know, men versus women or B2B versus B2C, or, you know, there's countless ways of different ways to look at these, at your data segments. But what kind of, un, how can you share these, this unpublished data with your audience in some different ways? And think about just all those, all the unpublished data that you have and bring that out into the marketplace. And of course, always point back to those main findings and have the findings point back to that. Um, so I think that's another fun way to get more life out of this one research project. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. There's just so much that you can do and it, it really justifies the investment in conducting the research in the first place. If you can just go on and share such highly valuable content in all of those different ways through repurposing, doesn't it? Hey, just a little break from this week's episode to let you know about becoming a content 10x insider. If you want more content repurposing tips and advice, then why not join hundreds of business owners, marketers, and content creators who get them delivered straight to their inbox once a week by subscribing to the content 10x newsletter. As well as tips and advice, you get industry updates, inspiring stories, exclusive content offers, and more. You can subscribe at content10x.com forward slash newsletter, and there's a link in the show show notes too. Okay, back to this week's episode. I love that. And I love the, the different approaches. It got me thinking about, obviously, the, there's no simple answer to the what. So is that a blog post? Is it a LinkedIn post? Is it an infographic or whatever? Because that depends on on the audience, doesn't it? And well, where are your, where are your ideal clients? And are we talking about content that you want to develop for social or for your website or for SEO? So it, there's there's a bigger consideration there of the inten- the intention, isn't there, in the audience? But it just got me thinking how, um, for example, uh, even a podcast. So we've been talking about posts and and um, LinkedIn content, tweets, things like that would be really good graphics and stuff. But you know, and I'm sure many of the research reports and surveys that you've done um, could probably turn into a podcast season, for example, couldn't they, where you bring experts on to discuss these insights and data findings, or you do solo thought leadership where you run through significant points, insights, etc. Um, would you agree? And have you seen that in action, like podcasts just purely based off an extensive piece of research? Yeah, so I mean, I think to your point about thinking about the formats, is it even a, it's like a, it's like a, a three-dimensional puzzle that you need to put together. Yeah. <laughs> and I always suggest that people focus, A, they focus on where they already are. If they're good at blog writing, if they're good at webinars, whatever those things are, focus there. And I love your idea about doing a podcast series on a research report. I haven't seen it, but I would love to, to see it. And I think it could be interesting to take different data points that you explore like one per week, or um, I've done video roundtables. You could use a similar format for podcasts where we look at one question and we have a discussion with all of these experts. You could even do one long conversation and then break that in, into your series for the season. Um, but I think there's a lot of different ways that you can, a lot of different formats that, that, that you can use to get this research out, out there. Yeah, exactly. Some people want to, I mean, I always say this, but some people just want to listen to these things. Some people want to watch some video content on it. Some people will just indulge in reading every piece of content you write about on your site. Some people don't like long form, but we'll look at all the tweets and LinkedIn posts you do. So it's it's about catering to the different preferred learning styles and content consumer behavior, isn't it, I guess? Because um, I was thinking... 
of, um, you know, like I said, like it would be, you could have a podcast season based on research and you would find enough ways to break it down for 10 episodes or something. But I was also thinking about webinars because in the podcast episode where I, you know, briefly touched on this is, this is way more in depth and insightful, but I briefly touched on repurposing research. It was research reports and white papers I was talking about. And I gave the example of the infinite dial report by Edison Research and um, Triton Digital and how um, I really like the way that Tom Webster and um, his, I think it, Phil, I can't remember the name of his colleague, but um, Tom and his colleague jump on and they always do a webinar to talk about the findings of the infinite dial. And I was at a podcast conference one year when they were running the webinar and there was like, there was a bit of an in-person watch party. Loads of people said, let's get some like drinks, let's get some food and let's hire a you know room in the hotel or whatever it was. And everyone gathered together and watched, <laughs> watched basically the findings of a you know, a, a you know, highly regarded and respected um, survey that's done every year. It really interested me because some people probably will never actually open that report and look at the finer details, but they just love to hear hear the, the people involved and, you know, kind of just talk through it all. So running a, a webinar to release and almost have a launch party in a way of the release of the report. But you could also... I suppose in the podcast idea, you could run a series of webinars, actually, couldn't you, in the same way you could be some some research findings could be great for having a panel discussion about it um, or some solo or just sharing some some slides and some data in a webinar. But that's something else that you could do, isn't it, like the a webinar series? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because it's funny because I'm, I'm, I think Tom and his team do a great job on that project as well. And I've used that as examples. I've I've shared in the past, but, and I think with the webinar, I I love the idea of a watch party, but I think webinars also work well for people who are trying to balance getting their research out to as many people as possible. But webinars, I mean, people typically are fine giving all of their information. So they're a really great source to bring people into the funnel and to nurture them and, and so forth. So I like to think about not only, you know, what are you good at? What, what does your data lend itself to, but what are, are your goals? And I think webinars are great, you know, for getting out those leads or getting, you know, bringing leads into the system. But um, and just as one more example, I worked with a client and we developed this, this model. So we had, long story short, like it was basically their, their table of contents. We looked at four different areas of, of digital ex- experience. And so they created this, ma- this um, model called Atom. So A was for alignment, T was for technology, O was for outcome, and M was for mindset. And they had all this data in all of these different areas. And then they published these um, small webinars. Um, And so they had one on alignment, one on outcome, one on technology, one on, on mindset. So if you structure your research well from the beginning, how you can get that content out there, it's it's almost kind of obvious. You can just follow that that same model. And they could do have done that exact same thing with with podcasts too. But like look deep into each area of, of the research. It's a great way to repurpose it without feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Would, would it be fair to say that a you know really decent in-depth piece of research could be the content fuel for a one-year content strategy for a business, really? You wouldn't be far reaching to say that would it I think you probably could create a year strategy from one really good piece of research 
Absolutely. And I think you need, it, it needs to be in depth enough. And I think you need to have enough segments. Like you can't just do a five question survey. That's not going to get you there. But if you do a bigger benchmarking study where you like have all of these different, you know, four to five big categories and you have all of these people and you have different survey questions that you can use to segment the data and look at the data in different ways, I think you absolutely can. You know, I actually wrote a a blog post. This was probably 2019-ish. And it was called How to Create a Year's Worth of Content from from One Research Report. So I think it's a a model that I think can work really, really well. And you just have to get smart on how you can do it and think about, like you said, all these different ways. But I think your opportunities are, are like limitless as long as that data isn't too time specific. You know what I mean? If you were asking just about COVID at the beginning of COVID, that has some shelf life. But most of these studies are, you know, have have an annual life at the very least. Yeah, I guess in a, like we were just talking about with Edison Research, um, because they do that every year and they do lots of different reports, don't they? But the the annual Infinite Dow report based on the US consumer behavior, um, because they do it every year, I guess it, I mean, uh, may, maybe I'm uh, not right here, but it must become just a, a very repeatable process for them. So the first time they did it, it would have been a lot of hard work and things like that. But then if it beco- becomes a repeatable process that your audience look forward to and get excited about, but there are, it just gets easier every year because you're doing it every year, then you're going to be spinning as much, if not more content each year, probably through a slightly more streamlined process. If it's the same kind of thing rolled out, is that, would that be fair or is it not quite? I would say ish. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I would say, I think that the initial, cause I work with clients on a lot of annual projects and typically what we do is we probably keep, you know, I would say 50 to 70% of the questions year over year. Sometimes if you run annual studies, you're going to see the same results every year and that gets kind of boring. But obviously the beauty of annual studies is you can find those those trends. So long story short, it is a little less upfront work, but you still have to, I I wouldn't just put your your program on on repeat. I I would get rid of some stuff that's not so useful. I would think about what you can ask or you can find those those new insights. Um, And then what does take more time is on the, so the the upfront process is a bit easier. The backend process is longer because you're not just looking at that year's data, you're looking at data year over year. So I spend a lot more time on the data analysis portion for annual reports and less upfront time. So it's- Yeah, yeah, there's more to compare against. Yeah, I I don't spend that less time. Like the process is easier because you know what you're doing. So that part's streamlined, but the- it's still, it's still work. It just work in different ways. Yeah. And there's, I guess there is more insights as you start to have, like you said, year on year comparable data. Yeah. So makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, something else that is a real win is that when you are conducting some original research in your industry, as well as all the content that you can create and, and repurpose from it, you're more likely to be creating shareable content, aren't you? Because um, people in your industry are looking up the, the answer to how many you know people have done this or what's the percentage of that. And when you're the owner and the you know the gatekeeper of that, find those findings, those graphics that you created or the blog posts that you shared and things like that, they must get shared and reused again and again by other companies and other people, right? It must be highly shareable when it's original research. 
Absolutely. So whenever like you, I start working, like I know Andy Crestadina years ago, he called this find the, the um, stat. I think that's what he called it. And, and he's like, if you can be like the, the, the source of that particular stat and the people are constantly linking to you, just like you said, Amy, that's a wonderful way to bring those backlinks and get results. Um, obviously you just need to make sure that that data lives on one page because as you start to repurpose, these things live in all of these different places. So I always suggest to people to drive back to that one spot. So that one spot can get all of those backlinks and your, all your hard work isn't, you know, spread all out. And it's, it's just harder to get, you know, um, to rank and get domain authority for any one thing. But, um, I think absolutely. And if, and if you can ask from the beginning, like, what is that data that my, that my prospects and my audience want, want to know about that we don't yet have, and you can create, you can find that, that answer. I, mean, I think that's very, very powerful, but you just have to make sure this is, is going to sound obvious. I talk to a lot of people who want to do research in very crowded spaces. Some people don't always look to see what else is out there. They just assume they can make a, a space and a place for themselves with research. So always find that that niche where those questions haven't been answered and you're going to be a lot more successful. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, I've got two final questions for you, Michelle. The first one is, what in your experience is maybe one of the biggest mistakes that you see people make when they embark on an independent research project? So I think that there's a lot of steps involved in a research project. And if, and I completely understand limited budgets and, and so forth, the thing I would recommend that people get help with is getting the actual survey design correctly, those survey questions, because I've talked to marketers more, you know, several times, unfortunately, those who have done research in-house, even those who've worked with other research partners, and they do all of this work to do this big survey and they get the results back and they're like, Oh, like this is kind of boring. Like I can't do yeah. anything with this. Mm. Um, or if you realize you've asked questions in a way that are that's unclear or any of those other things. So if you get your your survey wrong from the get-go, your the rest of the project and all of those repurposing opportunities just kind of, you know, they're they're gone they're gone. So the biggest mistake is not spending enough time on that initial survey design, just throwing out some questions out there and hoping for the best. I mean, you really need to be thoughtful about setting that up up well so that you can get the best results long-term. Yeah, makes complete sense. And and lastly, I just wondered with regards to the targeting and the audience. So obviously a really important thing is that the right people answering the questions for the for the data to, to be as insightful as it can be. Um, how do you how do you do that? So how do you really make sure that you're asking the right people and how do you find them and reach out to them? In a very long story short kind of way, you either have two options effectively, kind of three. You can either use, they have a lot of um, panel companies out there. And these are companies that you can work with to get these survey responses based on the criteria that, that you set up. Um, so if you want to work with a panel company, these work well in some instances but you just need to make sure that the screening questions you ask truly get at, truly are going to find the right person and they're going to disqualify the people that aren't right. Um, And you also have to realize that panels are just broad segments of the population. And even if they might be qualified by their title or whatever, they might not have that knowledge that you want. So again, you need to get very specific with with your screeners and you need to have a very easy to answer survey so that you know, people can answer them thoughtfully. Um, the other option you have, which is my preferred method for B2B 
surveys if you're going after marketers or IT pros is to either tap in into your own list and or to partner with someone else so you can get insights. Um, long story short, there is a, there can be some bias in that list, but depending on the type of questions you're asking, like I wouldn't, I would never do a, a survey to like say, Hey, let's, let's, let's prove that people are actually doing this or using this. But if you're looking at a topic from a more curiosity, holistic perspective, it makes a lot of sense to tap in, into your own audience because you could get, I have, from my experience, people answer a, a lot more thoughtfully. You can ask a lot deeper questions. They'll spend more time and, and so forth. So if you can't find, if you don't have a big enough list, you can always partner with someone who does, if you can find that right partner. And that can be a, a great way to find those people too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Lots of great tips there. And like you said, I guess that's a, a big, big uh, subject to cover. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for um, coming on. It's just been such a, a wonderful conversation. I'm sure everyone listening along has uh, taken so much from this. I will obviously um, add links to the things that we talked about, the, the articles that you mentioned and all of that. Um, is there anywhere you'd like people to go to, to connect with you or any next step that you would like people to take? Yeah. So you can absolutely, I guess there's, there's three ways. Um, you can reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. Um, I love you know, to, to share information and meet new people on LinkedIn. Um, you could also go to my website. If you want to subscribe to my email newsletter, that's published once a month. Um, and the other thing that I just started doing in collaboration with Aaron Balsa is we do a virtual monthly meetup. It's a 30 minute meetup called research power half hour. Um, where we bring in different people and we're just trying to bring together people who are doing this type of, of work so we can all, all learn from each other. So I was very surprised how many people there were actually doing this work. And our next month's topic in April is actually about repurposing. So I, I'm, you, you can certainly you know join those as, as well to learn from others. That sounds brilliant. Thank you. Well, I'll make sure we we link to everything so people can have one click access to everything you just mentioned. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much. What what a fantastic conversation. So it's been great to have you on. Thanks so much, Amy. This was fun. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that discussion and thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the content 10x podcast, then why not hit that subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice so that you can get updated when new episodes are released. And I'd really, really appreciate it if you could leave a review as well. That really makes a difference for the podcast. Also, please do get a copy of my book, Content 10x, more content, less time, maximum results. It is the ultimate guide to repurposing every type of content. And it's available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback and also in audiobook as well. And you can head to content10x.com forward slash book to find all the other places that you can get a copy of my book. And if you would like us to do your content repurposing for you, then we offer a fully end-to-end done-for-you content repurposing service. This is for podcasters and video content creators. We have our podcast 10x, video 10x, and also our specific LinkedIn 10x service, helping you to become the leading authority in your industry on LinkedIn. You can find out so much more about our services on our website. And also please do give me a follow on the social media platforms. I share lots and lots of tips and advice on social media about content repurposing. I'm at Content 10X on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And if you try content10x.com forward slash LinkedIn, you'll find my LinkedIn profile over there as well. All that's left to say is thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and I'll catch you in the next one.